0: This message was presented at the GYC Conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your love for us and for your plan for us. And we want to embrace and accept and walk in the path that you lay out for us, the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And I pray now that you would please help us to set aside our own preferences and opinions and our likes and what we want. And just we pray thy will be done and ask for your voice to be heard. Not a speaker's opinion, not any of our ideas, but only thy will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Martin Lindstrom, the neuromarketing expert at Apple, um, discovered when they looked at the brains of iPhone users... What happens is you have a very specific relationship with your iPhone. What we learned from a very recent study we did was that there were actually two activations in the brain happening for people who are, notice this, in love with their iPhones. He says, did you hear what I said? In love. Because we actually realized from the study that the same area of the brain that is activated when you are in love with someone is activated when you are in love with your iPhone. Now, through the day, I've been talking about how we can use media as a tool. I like media. The operative word is like. I'm not sure I want to be in love with a device. That's going a little over the top, isn't it? People are literally like it's their friend, like it's their spouse, like it's their child. And they're in love with The love circuits in the brain are firing off when you're thinking about and using your phone. That's a little scary. That's a little weird, isn't it? You remember the thing about people cuddling with strangers because we're so lonely in this generation? Maybe we're just cuddling with our phones. People are going to bed with their phones. It's under their pillow. It's in their hand. It's like, okay. It's a device. It's a tool, yes. In love with? No. George Barna found in his research years ago, media exposure has become America's most widespread and serious, what's the next word? Addiction. It's a very real addiction. You may have heard the 30-second blip up, up, up at the main session last night. Dr. Nicholas Cardaris author of the book, Glow Kids, wrote, I have treated hundreds of heroin addicts and I can say that it is easier to treat a heroin addict than a true screen addict. So we're not dealing with something that's just hyperbole or just rhetoric or like a literal, real, actual addiction. He was using the diagnostic criteria that are used in, in psychiatry circles to actually diagnose addictions. So their standard for diagnosing he used in surveys across the general population and found the majority of us would qualify for an addiction to our favorite entertainment media or whatever it might be. Now, what first actually got me talking about media seven years ago, I was a teacher. I was seeing this in my own students' lives in such great quantities, and frankly, a lot of worldly stuff coming in, and I was like, whoa, hold the phone. What are we into here? So I did an anonymous survey with my students. I said, all right, how much time are we spending on... Worldly media. So, so we're not just talking about the things from the morning now. This is worldly media. Hollywood entertainment, violent video games, and I limited it just to that. So it wasn't all media use, because you can use media in a positive way, in a God-glorifying way. And then also, how much time are we spending in devotions, in prayer, in Bible study, in reading of spiritual things, even just anything that connects you with your Savior? And the ratio that came out of that shocked and floored me, and I started gathering information, actually, to just share this with my students, and here we go with Media on the Brain seven years later. Here's the ratio, 25 to 1. A 25 to 1 ratio. And I'm saying, okay, Lord, what do we need to do to get this balance right? I had one student, I said, would a 50-50 balance be good? Like 50% of our lives in in holy and pure things and the other 50% in worldly things? I had a student who said, Mr. Ritzema, uh, 50-50, if we're talking about worldly media, shouldn't that be zero? And that was one who was not inclined to, like, I'm going to live a pure life at that point, at least. And, and, and But he, he acknowledged it because we, we would all know that if we're in our honest moments. We, as Christians, cannot be involved with worldly media. The 25-to-1 ratio, by the way, is the same ratio of the average American's diet for every one calorie we are eating from whole food, plant-based source of awesome nutrition, we are consuming 25 calories from the everything else category. That would be all the stuff you see on the screen. The standard American diet, you know what that stands for? Standard American diet spells S. A-D. set The sad diet, which literally does make us more sad. The more you eat of that, the less happy you are. If you add a serving of fruit and vegetables to your diet, you become that much more happy. A second serving, that much more happy. A third serving, that much more happy. All the way up to studied seven or eight servings. And for each additional step up in the fruits and vegetables category going into your diet, you gain greater happiness. So, To hearken back to the quote from earlier, from Ellen G. White, where she says, let's make our children's lives as happy as possible. And the same thing, God wants to make all of his children's lives as happy as possible. In our diet, he gives us an appointed diet to actually maximize our thriving, our joy, our energy. You're like, Scott, I thought you were going to talk about media. Now I'm feeling convicted about my diet. Hey, praise God. I didn't mean to preach on the health message. It just kind of came up. But I will say this. It doesn't even need to be conviction, it can just be, I want to have a, a, a joyful, vibrant life. And so anybody, even people who aren't coming at this from a religious perspective, can access this same truth, and a lot of the same truths I've been sharing with you today, and when we get to the end, we'll do how to escape the pleasure trap, and we'll see that's, that's God's plan for all of us. By the way, I have to make a slide out of this or I forget it. I've got two yellow notebooks. You can pass them uh, back and fill them, fill them in as you go. Email address if you want to be on our ministry's newsletter. Now, we have some major moral consequences when we're consuming worldly media. And it doesn't even have to be in a 25 to 1 ratio. It's just the averages out there are mind-boggling. The average young person by the age of 18, this is in the culture broadly, 200,000 acts of violence that we are witnessing on TV and movies. And that doesn't even count video games. That's just in the Hollywood Entertainment, viewing hundreds of thousands of acts of violence. 6,588 beer commercials by the age of 18. And I remember my students would tell me, yeah, but Mr. Ritzema, we don't watch the commercials. You're so 1980s and 90s. We fast forward through the commercials. We DVR the program. We have all sorts of savvy, techy ways to do things here. So we don't watch the commercials. And that may be true during the ad break. But guess what? There are Product placements happening throughout the entertainment, in the movies, in the shows, in everything. And in one year, in primetime television alone, they did 316,239 alcohol product placements. So you might have avoided the commercials during the commercial break but hundreds of thousands of times we're being inundated with a subliminal subconscious subtle type of commercial where they flash the, 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 the or a mention of it or they have an image of it on the screen and we're being advertised to constantly when we subject ourselves to the entertainment industry's propaganda. Between the ages of 8 and 18 the average young person will view 79,500 scenes of a sexual nature 99% of which are not upholding biblical values and so you might say okay what are the consequences of that going to be when i was a young person i was into the worldly media i wanted to play the video games listen to the worldly music watch all the exciting movies and if somebody would have confronted me with that and said hey as a christian should we be beholding these things i mean by beholding we become changed and is this something jesus would watch you know what i would i would make excuses in my rebellious years and i would have been like you know it's not affecting me see i'm not going out and doing those things So I'm not killing anybody. I'm not doing these things. So it's proof that it's not affecting me. Ha, I'm smarter. No, you're not smarter than Jesus because Jesus pointed out a long time ago that it's not just about whether you go out and do the act of murder, do the act of adultery. Do you remember the passage in Matthew 5? Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, do not murder. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, I'm raising the bar here. He says, don't even have thoughts of lust.'" or hate toward people if it happens in your heart it happens in your thoughts, then it's a violation of the commandment. Thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery. So when I'm entertained by it, and I'm watching, and I'm listening to it, I'm playing it, I'm participating in it, it's in my heart, it's in my mind, and thus it is a violation of the commandment in just participating in those things. So the silly notion I had that since I'm not going out and doing it, that it's not affecting me, and I'm okay morally, was very erroneous logically from Matthew 5. But also scientifically, it came out in a laboratory they were looking at the brain of of primates and what goes on in a monkey's brain while he does various activities. One of the things they had the monkey doing was eating peanuts and while he ate peanuts they learned what goes on in the brain. Okay, very interesting. Then they take a break and they move the peanuts to the other side of the room and now the scientist is eating the peanuts while the monkey is just sitting there doing nothing but he's still strapped down and being monitored. Well he's now watching peanuts being eaten and they accidentally discover What goes on in a monkey's brain while he watches peanuts being eaten? And they say, wait a minute, this looks strikingly familiar. His brain while watching it looks an awful lot like his brain while eating the peanuts, and they looked at it, it was the exact same brain scan. The same neurological signature for eating peanuts was firing when he was watching peanuts being eaten. They called it mirror neurons, and they discovered... Whatever we see with our eyes is interpreted by the brain as if we are doing it ourselves, not merely seeing it. So that reminds me of a story I heard of an Amish young man. True story. The Amish young man had never seen a movie, had never watched any Hollywood entertainment, had never participated with any of that. He left the Amish community and he watched his first movie ever. And it was an old Western film. Now, I used to be a history teacher and show... Old movies sometimes to my students. I wouldn't do that today, but at the time I would, as a part of the history curriculum, I would put a clip or a whole movie of an old film. And to a person, I would have half the class asleep by the end of the period, the other half like scoffing at it, and like some shocking scene shows up. It's like, it's supposed to be scary, and they're all laughing at it. Why was this so not shocking to them that half of them were asleep and the other half were laughing at it? Well, the Amish kid saw somebody shot in this old movie, and he had never seen it before, he turned white pale and ran out of the house and threw up. And I thought, well, that's kind of strange. That's not what I've seen in my own life and my students' lives. But wait a minute. The Amish kid wasn't the strange one, was he? He wasn't the weird one. We're the ones who've become desensitized to the onslaught of worldliness that we permit to come our way, like the frog in the pot, right? You put the frog in the pot at a low temperature. The devil is, a, just, is an expert at this. I'm going I'm to heat it up just enough so it doesn't notice it. Oh, Christians will accept this. And then he intensifies it a little more. And over time in our lives and over time in the generations and the culture, we, we, the heat turns up and we all accept it because it's so incremental. It's so imperceptible. We don't even notice it. And pretty soon that frog will literally pass out and die in that boiling water. But the Amish kid was thrown into the pot of already boiling water, you see. He jumps out. He's like, you guys are crazy. That's not entertainment. He's right, isn't he? And here we are having to ask ourselves, have I been desensitized? Have I permitted these things into my life, into my heart and my mind? And I'll tell you something. I have good news. Uh, the, 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 The convicting word from the Bible is don't let your conscience be seared as with a hot iron. Because if you sear it and you harden it, the voice of God and the convictions to the soul weaken, and we don't receive that with the same level of intensity over time. But the good news is, if we can be desensitized, do you think we can also be resensitized? Be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Can Can we have new minds? We can. And so... When I, I've talked to so many people, and I've lived it, maybe some of you have lived it, where you detach from worldly media and that's this onslaught of worldliness, and you start to have new mental and spiritual taste buds form, and then you witness something accidentally or you see something that you didn't intend to see, and it shocks you. And you're like, praise God, that didn't used to shock me. And I'm glad I'm being resensitized. I'm repulsed by it. It makes me want to throw up like the Amish kid did. There's a statement in Isaiah 33 that applies to the last day's people. It asks the question, who among us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who is the consuming fire? Our God is a consuming fire. So who among us shall dwell with God. Who can stand in the presence of God? You know, Moses wanted God to show him his glory. Do you remember that? Show me your glory. And God said to Moses, no one can see my face and live. So apparently we can't just like walk nonchalantly right into the presence of the almighty and holy God who is a consuming fire. To a sinner, the presence of God would be a consuming fire. In fact, it says in Revelation 14 that the wicked will be tormented in the presence of the Lamb. And that great final uh, day of of, of torment and destruction of, of wickedness says they will be tormented in the presence of the Lamb. So God's presence is a consuming fire to sin wherever wherever found. So Isaiah's asking, well, then who can stand in the consuming fire? Who can dwell with the everlasting burnings? And it's the same question John asks at the end of chapter 6 of Revelation where he, he sees Jesus coming in the clouds of heaven and everybody's running away and they're calling upon the rocks and the mountains to fall on them and hide them from the face of the Lamb. And the question that these people people ask is who shall be able to stand do you remember that and then it's the end of the chapter at the end of revelation 6 it's just a rhetorical question isn't it because it's the end of the chapter what chapter there were no chapters in the original writing read on and you'll see what the answer to the question is who shall be able to stand they ask at the end of chapter 6 of revelation right into chapter 7 you see the sealing taking place the 144,000 receiving the seal of the living god so There's the answer to the question. Isaiah is saying, who shall dwell with the presence of God? Who shall stand in the presence of the consuming fire? John has the people saying, who shall stand? And the answer is, those who receive the seal. So that's how this passage has a lot to do with the last days, those who were receiving the seal of God. So here's Isaiah's answer. Who shall be able to stand in the consuming fire? He who stops his ears from hearing about bloodshed and shuts his eyes from looking upon evil. You see the implications for our media use. People tell me, oh, Scott, don't talk about media. It's not a salvation issue. We shouldn't talk about lifestyle. We shouldn't talk about Christian standards. We should just talk about X, Y, or Z and leave those things. That is a sneaky message of the serpent coming through maybe well-intentioned people. But I'll tell you something. When you say, it's not a salvation issue, don't worry about it. What is that doing? It's giving the carnal heart the excuse to do what I want to do. When the Bible says, if you want to stand in the consuming fire in the midst of the presence of God. We've got to be purified by the blood of the Lamb first. We can't be beholding violence and evil. It says those who can stand will be those who have come apart from those worldly things. Clearly, he who stops his ears from hearing about bloodshed and shuts his eyes from looking upon evil. And that's not to say we're saved by our media choices. It's only the merits of Christ and his righteousness that saves us. But what does the saved person do? The Bible says, Come apart and be separate from the world, saith the Lord. Touch. No unclean thing, and I will receive you. Touch zero unclean things. I want nothing to do with the fruitless works of darkness, but rather let's expose them and tell others about it as well. Satan's work is to lead men to ignore God, to so engross and absorb the mind that God will not be in their thoughts. The education they have received has been of a character to confuse the mind and eclipse the true light. Satan does not wish the people to have a knowledge of God, and if he can set in operation, notice this, games and theatrical performances that will so confuse the senses of the young that human beings will perish in darkness while light shines all about them. He, Satan, is well pleased. Now, games and theatrical performances were of a different character 119 years ago when that was written. However, does the Lord know what's coming in the future? Will he give us counsels that will apply even a very specific way to our time? So you can look at the effects upon the brain. We, we looked at some of it this morning and how the, the, the video games and the worldly theatrical entertainment television movies is impacting our mind. And it is absolutely confusing the senses, confusing the mind, just as we see here in the quote. Amazing how prescient that really is. The Bible says, be not conformed. To this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Satan has an agenda to conform the group mind into a standard of deception. It says in the Bible, see to it that no one takes you captive. You see, there will be agendas out there seeking to take us captive. It says, watch out for them. Don't be taken captive by the deceptions of this age, but rather take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus Christ. Edward Bernays is the founder of modern public relations, the popular culture of the 1920s that emerged and is still with us. He is the father of a whole movement within the entertainment industry, in the advertising industry, to standardize human behavior and conform people to the establishment narrative. Edward Bernays said... If we understand the mechanism and motives of the group mind, is it not possible to control and regiment the masses according to our will without their knowing about it? Wow, that's a chilling statement. He said we will be able to control the group mind and they won't even know about it. This is his book, Propaganda, page 71. He goes on on page 37 and says the conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. And you might say, that's democratic? That sounds like a manipulation scheme of a totalitarian. Indeed it is. But what he's saying is, in a free society, you can't control people through the traditional modes and mechanisms of brute force, violent domination that authoritarians have used throughout history. He says the only way we can control people, and we have to control people, we are the social engineers, after all, is through the manipulation of their habits and opinions by the control of the group mind. That's how we do it in democratic societies, because we have no other options on the table. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. We are governed, our minds molded, our tastes formed, our ideas suggested, largely by men we have never heard of. Let that sink in. I mean, is that the world we live in now or what? How do people adopt ideas, worldviews that are so contrary to anything basic, normal, decent, and logical that we become so confused about things? It's the media onslaught that has been upon us for a hundred years. This is a statement from Signs of the Times. It actually predicts that through the channel of mesmerism, Satan is going to come more directly to the people of that generation. It also works with that power, which is to characterize his efforts near the close of probation. That's right now, right? So near the close of probation, Satan's going to be using mesmerism. Well, where do we see mesmerism taking place? I don't know a lot of people that go to a hypnotist, but when you look at how hypnosis takes place today, light and sound do the work for deep relaxation in a fraction of time of traditional methods, says this text on modern hypnosis. By using specific frequencies of audio and visual input. So, a frequency of flashing light, maybe that could actually alter your state of consciousness and your brain waves. You see the image of the children, you know, vegged out in front of the television. But what you want to understand is brain wave frequency. Beta waves are where you're in your critical thinking, moral filter is up, you're engaged. When you slip down into an alpha state, it's normally what you're heading down when you're going down into sleep, it's that intermediary stage. It's also what New Age meditators are trying to get into when they do sort of self-hypnosis. It's a highly suggestible, dreamy, hypnotic state where the brain is going into a more subconscious level and the moral filter is coming down. So what does this have to do with the repetitive flashing light of modern media, is that going to induce such a trance? Absolutely. Psychophysiologist Thomas Mulholland found that after just 30 seconds of watching television, the brain begins to produce alpha waves, which which indicates torpid, almost comatose rates of activity. Alpha brain waves are associated with unfocused, overly receptive states of consciousness. I should note that the goal of hypnotists is to induce slow brain wave states. Alpha waves are present during the light hypnotic state used by hypnotherapists for suggestion therapy. Viewers automatically enter a trance state while watching television. This has been known for decades. This is not like brand new information, not something somebody invented. This has been well known. I spoke with a guy actually in the media. I was doing media on the brain for a public venue, and he was the cameraman for the news crew that was doing a little piece on the media on the brain community center event. And he came up, he's like, I love that you're telling people about that, because this is all in our communication textbooks. We all learned about this, and it's not widely known. I guess we can't expect the media to tell us about it, but it's well known, by the way. And so maybe you've watched somebody watch TV, and you kind of see that look on their face, and it's flash, flash, the room's flashing up every, I used to say, every three seconds. It's now every two seconds, because they've had to increase the pacing to keep the stimulant effect that we talked about this morning that reduces the attention span, but it just keeps us engaged and hits the pleasure centers so that we have that that novelty, that new image on the screen every two seconds, very fast-paced. And the brain can't make a logical, coherent narrative out of all of that flashing. And it's just like, I'm giving up and going down into alpha. The music of the world also does the same thing. This is Dr. Juanita McElwin, retired chair of music therapy department Phillips University in Oklahoma, speaks of how rock-style music bypasses the frontal lobe and our ability to reason and make judgments about it. She says that this music, like television, can produce a hypnotic effect. Now again, that's rock-style music. That's theatrical-style, entertainment-style television. It's not, you know, videos of, of seminars and stuff. It's not sacred music. It's worldly media of, con- of communication. Worldly mediums of communication that are doing this. She calls it rock music, which of course, the main feature of rock music is the, the heavy beat, the excessive quantities of percussion, which I just praise God that we get to go and worship God in those main sessions. And there's not a drum set and a rock band up there. There's beautiful sacred music. There's a reason they do it that way. And there's a reason we're called to do it that way, by the way. Jimi Hendrix pointed it out. He said, music is a spiritual thing of its own. You can hypnotize people with the music, and when you get them at their weakest point, you can preach into the subconscious what you want to say. Wow! So it puts you in that subconscious state. Hypnotize. He says we can hypnotize the people with the music. And another quote, he says, we make our music so loose and hard-hitting so that it hits your soul hard enough to make it open. His way of describing a very real neurological phenomenon that Dr. Newberg and Waldman actually studied at the University of Pennsylvania. They wrote about this in the book, How God Changes the Brain. And they looked at different religious practices, really, is what they're looking at. They're kind of promoting Buddhist meditation. And they look also at Easter at um, a charismatic style, Pentecostal style of, of worship. And they get people in their ecstatic feeling and whether they're engaged in the tongues or, or whatever, but they're listening to their, you know, rock and roll, praise and worship popular styles of, you know, get, get really uh, excited and, and enthralled by this, this worldly style of music with Christian lyrics set to it. And what they found is the prefrontal cortex of, of people engaged in that style of worship is shut down during that time of of what what they would call worship. And so this is something that people have known for eons. This is musician William Ora. We had discovered something that people knew eons ago. So for thousands of years, people have discovered how you can use what he calls polyrhythms. It's the use use of lots of rhythm, quantities of rhythm, styles of rhythm that can be used for, quote, hypnotic induction, for altered states of consciousness, even for soul travel. What is all that? We'll just call that spiritualism, right? Kind of like Jimi Hendrix said. And so he says, people have known this for thousands of years. This is pagan music. It's, it's music from heathen cultures, from human cultures all over the world. In fact, Mickey Hart, the drummer for The Grateful Dead, says, everywhere you look around the world, people are using drums to alter consciousness. I love that he points out that this is a global phenomenon. Lucifer, the fallen angel, the one who was the musician in heaven, the one who has instituted all these pagan forms of worship, they all kind of look similar, don't they? Everywhere you find them around the world and they're doing the same styles. My good friend Christian Berdahl has a seminar on music, This Distraction Dilemma. He plays the beats in the pagan musical styles from all these different places and it, wow, that's the same beat. I wonder where they all got that from right well it was adopted by popular music through the rock and roll movement in this culture he gives you the whole history i'm just kind of giving you a little bit of, a little bit of glimpse into that but anyway that's what's going on with the worldly music industry but then it slips into the church doesn't it uh the, the church says hey we can do worldly musical styles and we'll just put christian lyrics to it he's like look This is altering consciousness. I have discovered, along with many others, the extraordinary power of music, particularly percussion, to influence the human mind and body. And so when I read in Selected Messages, book two, pages 36 to 38, if you want me to say that again, because you want to write it down, and you might want to study this one in greater depth, because I'm going to do it in like 45 seconds, but... uh, You want to spend some time on that. We don't have a lot of time for it. But Selected Messages, book two, pages 36 through 38, speaks about a camp meeting that was held in about 100 years ago, a little over 100 years ago, in Indiana. And it says the same thing will be repeated just before the close of probation. It says, quote, there will be drums, music, and dancing, and the senses of rational beings will become so confused that they will not be able to make right decisions. And this is called the moving of the Holy Spirit. So it's called Christian. It's called, you know, emphasizing praise, and it's the Holy Spirit moving. But the rest of the quote says, Satan is making music a snare by the way in which it is conducted, by the way in which it is conducted is a reference to musical style, of course, right? Not the lyrics. So the music itself is communicating something on what level and what is it doing to our brain and what is it doing to the spiritual atmosphere of the worship setting? So very important quote, study further. By the way, I want to get the right balance on the music thing too. When I talked about the charismatic people and the you know, ecstasy of praise and worship and stuff and how their prefrontal cortex is off, let's not swing to the extreme opposite where I grew up in a Calvinistic, environment, and we were like the frozen chosen, get it, frozen chosen, anyway, and we would go, come we that love the Lord, and let joy be known, join in a song of sweet accord, like that, I see some of our chosen, our, you know, the remnant, I'm up front, you know, at the, for the sermon, and the, the song leader gets up, and she's like, let's sing through 422, marching to Zion, and she's enthusiastic, and everybody out there's like, like that. That's not worship, right? It says in the spirit of prophecy, here's here's an injunction from the Lord. Let the heart feel the spirit of the song. No, 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 no. Not let the, I apologize. I don't have these on the slides. These things are coming to mind. I got to give them to you. The heart must feel the spirit of the song to give it right expression. So if we're not feeling the spirit of the song and let our joy be known, joy, we're supposed to be letting our joy be known when we sing that particular one, right? And maybe it's a a holy song or a reverent song like holy, 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 you feel the spirit of that song. And so we're supposed to have feeling emotion is part of the human experience and how we're designed so yes we don't want to shut off our frontal lobe and our ability to reason you heard drums music and dancing will make the senses of rational beings become so confused that they will not be able to make right decisions that negates the reasoning capacity and the bible does say come let us reason together and Spirit of Prophecy says the heart must feel the spirit of the song to give it right expression. So just, just cling to that and find that balance of beautiful, sacred music that makes your heart soar and your mind be filled and elevated with truth. Bertrand Russell is another social engineer type of guy, kind of like Edward Bernays. He says, but perhaps the most important of all the modern agents of propaganda is the cinema leading to almost worldwide uniformity. <clears throat> the great majority of young people in almost all civilized countries derive their ideas of love, of honor, of the way to make money, and of the importance of good clothes from the evening spent in seeing what Hollywood thinks good for them. Now, isn't this amazing? This was written over 50 years ago. He's saying the number one agent of propaganda is the entertainment industry. It leads people into uniformity of thought. Do not be conformed to this world. Uniformity of thought. And he says their their worldview, their ideals about all these areas of life will be shaped by what Hollywood defines as good. Still going on to this day, isn't it? I doubt whether all the churches and schools combined have as much influence as the cinema on the opinions of the young. Wow, so we can do our best, like, in our schools and in our churches and stuff, but if we allow worldly exposure, he says, you're not going to be able to outweigh what Hollywood is doing. The producers of Hollywood are the high priests of a new religion. What? The result is that any defects in the status quo, so if there are problems in the way that we're running the society, Edward Bernays said we are the ones that pull the wires that control the public mind. If there are any defects and people realize maybe we don't have their best interest at heart, well, people, the only people who are going to notice that are those who are willing to spend their leisure time otherwise than in amusement. I hope that's you. You know what amusement means? Amuse. To not muse to not think. So if we're in a state of amusement, well, of course, we're not going to notice the deceptions and the the manipulations that are taking place around us. These are, of course, a small minority. The Bible calls it the remnant. And they they are, he says, they are negligible. Now, God's going to use an army of youth to finish the work, hasten the second coming of Christ. The elements will be laid waste and melt with fervent heat. And that's kind of not negligible. That's earth shattering, literally history changing, sin ending stuff that we get to be the privilege to be a part of by God's grace and power, animating our witnessing in our lives for him. He goes on and says, there is however, a certain instability about the whole system in the event of unsuccessful war this system of control over people's minds, might break down. And the population, which had grown accustomed to amusements, might be driven by boredom into... Oh no, serious thought. The people have begun thinking. They're snapping out of their state of amusement and they're questioning the powers that be, questioning the media establishment that has a stranglehold over the minds of the population and serious thought is engaged if they end up with boredom or some other crisis that snaps them out of it. Amazing quotation, Given a glimpse into this system where the Bible warns us and says, don't be taken captive by hollow and deceptive philosophy. Some of them admit it, like MTV founder Robert Pittman. He said, the strongest appeal you can make is emotionally. If you can get their emotions going, make them forget their logic, you've got them. (laughs) Wow. At MTV, we don't shoot for the 14-year-olds. We own them. That's pretty confrontational stuff, isn't it? Rudolph Valentino was an actress in the 1920s. This is the good old days of American film, right? No, the very origins of the entertainment industry were steeped in spiritualism. Every night, Valentino's wife would hold a seance. How often? Every night. Do we have worship every night? Do we have devotions every day? Calling forth help from the spirit world in her creative undertaking. Then pencil and paper in hand, she would go into a trance and start writing. After her outpourings were typed up, they were brought to the set the next day and given to the director. So the, the, the script for the movies were given under seances from demon spirits? Yep. Mae West was another person in the same boat, 1930s. She was uh, the one-woman sexual revolution, as they called her. Mae West received inspiration from psychic phenomena. Her psychic recalls that she would pace around the room, saying, forces, forces, come to me and help me write a script. She would begin to hear voices and images as the plot was revealed to her. She would lie in bed in a trance-like state, dictating as the spirits entered. Wow, that's heavy stuff, isn't it? Um, and this is the, the, when, when it was supposedly good and pure and all that. It was never Oprah Winfrey is a modern actress who says, this is how I see acting. I use my body to be a carrier for the spirits of those who have come before me. She says, I tried to empty myself and let the spirit inhabit me. So what is she describing? This is possession. This is how I see acting. A spirit inhabits my body, and I empty myself, and a spirit inhabits me. Okay. Peter Sellers, another actor, said, acting is rather like being a medium. It's like being a what? A medium. And laying yourself wide open and saying, I want a character to inhabit my body. He's he's using colorful language to describe a very spiritual thing here. Or I want a character to take charge of me so that I can produce what I hope to produce. He's going to be a medium. His self is laid wide open and something inhabits his body. Robin Williams says there's also that thing, it is possession. He's using the word possession. And he's talking about literal possession because he says in the old days you'd be burned for it. But there's something empowering about it, he says. It is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde where you really can become this other force. Denzel Washington spoke specifically about how he received help from these demon spirits. He he was asked, how did you act so in charge in that scene, in that movie? I mean, that was a powerful scene. How were you so in charge? In the interview, he says, well, basically what I did was got on my knees and sort of communicated with the spirits. And when I came out, I was in charge. I couldn't have acted that. I couldn't have made a decision to play that part. Okay, so he got on his knees before the spirits, received the power from them to act in this in-charge way. And that's just a few examples, by the way. I'm cutting out a lot of content to give you the skinny on this. But when you look at the musicians, it gets even more... Uh, blatant in your face. Now I show you this musician on the screen, not much of an actual musician, but that was me in 1998 on October 31 playing bass guitar in the rock band. And what I'm doing right there is we are at a church and the church, we were in a youth group and we got saved and we were in the charismatic movement, me and my friends at that time. And they were like, hey, let the youth group do their thing. And the young people will make it relevant, cool for the young people to have the rock music. Halloween, we'll have a barn bash. And so we had a barn bash, as they call it. They made a platform and a stage in the barn, they wired it up with electricity, and they let the young people play their punk rock music with some Christian lyrics and some not, and they were they allowed it all to happen because they were well-intentioned. I'll give them that. They wanted souls to be one to the truth, but honestly, we weren't winning anybody the truth dressed like demons, right, with the, the makeup and the ghoulish appearance there that you can see, and also... Nobody on that stage stayed with that church or that movement, right? Most of them have nothing to do with Christianity at all. One of them's in the remnant church and calls that Babylon. So it wasn't very effective either. So well-intentioned, but when you lower the standard, <laughs> it, it, you're, you're, you're not staying true to what God has asked us to do. You can't win, the, the, you can't win um, the world to the church by becoming like the world. You can't win the world to the truth by becoming like the world. It's when we're distinct and unique and different and set apart that there is a distinction And then there's an attraction, like, hey, what are you guys doing differently, right? Little Richard, I told you I'd tell you about the musicians. He said, I was directed and commanded by another power, the power of darkness that a lot of people don't believe exists, the power of the devil, Satan. Okay, was he clear? (laughs) He says, let me tell you this every way I know how. It sounds like Revelation 12, the serpent of old called the devil and Satan. The power of the devil, Satan. Has this guy heard a Revelation series before, maybe? You know he grew up Seventh-day Adventist? He was in the rock music industry. He was the Little Richard, like the king of rock and roll, you could call him. And then two years ago, two and a half years ago, came on 3ABN in an interview and says, I'm back in the truth. I, I, I relinquish and repent of all of that. So praise God. We got to pray for all of these people in, this in, in these industries. John Lennon of the Beatles said, I felt like a hollow temple filled with many spirits, each one passing through me, each inhabiting me for a little time and then leaving to be replaced by another. So he's, okay, he was being possessed like those actors were being possessed. So, wow. By the way, the first people I ever heard the thing about these actors and stuff being possessed, go to their booth, Little Light Studios, Little Light Ministries. Awesome, awesome guys. I got to give a little hat tip to them. This, by the way, on John Lennon, talking about the writing of his songs, John Lennon said, I don't know who the blank writes it. I'm just sitting and the whole blank song comes out. Like, you don't know who wrote your songs? So he didn't write his, he didn't write his songs? Okay, so who wrote the songs of the Beatles then? Well, he's got spirits inhabiting him, and I am a temple, and the spirit comes into me. Rolling Stones, Keith Richards, same thing. He says songs. Yeah, they think you wrote it. Time out. You didn't write your songs either? No, really. You are just a medium, like being at a seance. Songs come to me en masse. I didn't do anything except to happen to have been awake when it arrived. Wow. So you're like at a seance, and you're a medium, and you didn't write your songs? I'm seeing a theme here. Jimmy Page and Robert Plant of Led Zeppelin explained how they received the song, Stairway to Heaven and other music, referring to themselves as a musical medium, channeling the music. Those are their words. We were channeling the music. We were a medium for the music. The music was offered to us. And Robert Plant said, my hand started writing. I almost leapt out of my seat. Well, that's called channeling, when the hand just starts writing. It's occult practices that he was engaged in. Who says, my hand just started writing, and it startled me, and I almost leapt out of my seat? A very serious thing they were engaged with and dabbling with when they were into Aleister Crowley and all of it with Led Zeppelin. Beyonce would be a modern manifestation of this. My students drew my attention to this because I wasn't really hip to the, to the pop music and the hip hop and all that. And as you got to look up Beyonce, Mr. Ritzma, you got to see what she's into. And I look at the album cover art. This goes back like 15 years almost now. She's got a cross hanging from her wrist. And then she loses the cross, adopts a different name here, and puts up horns on her head with a goat skull type of image there. And I'm like, time out. By the way, I added this. This is additional uh, modesty and propriety for the. Uh, the <laughs> When I, when I see a video, she says, of myself on stage or TV, I'm like, who is that girl? That's not me. I wouldn't dare do that. I created my stage persona, this other alter ego, Sasha Fierce, she called her, to protect myself so that when I go home, I don't have to think about what it is I do. Sasha is not me. I wouldn't like Sasha if I met her off stage. Okay, serious stuff as she's talking about there. She's got this alter ego that's evil and has, like, satanic imagery. I put this one on here so you can compare that with that. You can see, yeah, that's what that is. She says, I have someone else that takes over when I'm on stage. Okay, that sounds pretty literal to me. When I'm on stage, I'm not afraid of my sexuality. The tone of my voice gets different, and I'm fearless. I'm just a different person. She says, things I do when performing, I would never do normally. I have out-of-body experiences. If I cut my leg, if I fall, I don't even feel it. I'm not aware of my face or my body. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody? They're like, yeah, I'm out of my body, and I'm not aware of my face. I'm not aware of my body. I cut myself, and I don't feel it. That's not normal. That's not normal. Then there's Jay-Z. He puts Do What Thou Wilt right on the sweatshirt. On his clothing line that his company put out, Do What Thou Wilt is the famous credo of Aleister Crowley, the most famous Satanist of all time. And the song came out, No Church in the Wild. A student of mine came to me. He's like, Mr. Ritzman, I got to tell you something. They were playing this song, No Church in the Wild, at at the halftime show of the basketball tournament at, the, at, the, at the, 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 the university we just uh, went to, to play against the other academy students. And I'm like, excuse me, they were playing Jay-Z? And he's like, oh yeah, you heard of No Church in the Wild? I'm like, no. Can we watch the music video? I said, no. I don't want to watch the music video in the Bible classroom. And I said, can you show me the lyrics? Like, what's it about? These are the lyrics. I live by you desire. So they're speaking to desire personified. You are the one I live by. So they live by their own desires. Your love is my scripture. Loving desire is their scripture. We formed a new religion. Actually, it's not new and you didn't form it, but they know it's a religion. It's formed by Satan a long time ago. It's not that new. No sins As long as there's permission, by the way, in the great controversy, pages 555 to 556, you will read about spiritualism in the last days and it will teach that there are no sins. And that's exactly what appears in the in the in the song. It also says that that spiritualism will teach that desire shall be the highest law. It's like, whoa, that was that was predating Crowley and Jay-Z and all of this. It's something that the pastor don't preach. Now, amen to that. The pastor ain't preaching this false gospel, gospel called Alistair Crowley and spiritualism and satanic rebellion of loving your own desire and there is no sin. But Great Controversy warned us to watch out for this. You never thought you'd see it coming through in the in the, in the entertainment industry, right? It's always uh, a different perception we have of things, but the devil is, is insidious and, and deceptive. Now, you probably weren't like Man, I was super into Jay-Z as a Christian remnant believer. Like, I was really looking forward to listening to Jay-Z on my way home. Probably most of you are not into that kind of music. And if, you, if we are, by the way, we've got to take that seriously and say, okay, what have I gotten into? God's going to call you apart and be separate, right? By many or by few, you can be in the few who say no to that worldly m- music. So um, one of the ones that surprised me under this heading of and we thought they were okay is this one we were doing witchcraft trying to do witchcraft music and then he goes on and says i'm doing the spiritual sound a white spiritual sound religious music that's the whole movement that's where i'm going it's going to scare a lot of people okay so who was doing witchcraft in their music decades ago and it was like going to scare and surprise people well it wasn't a dark and satanic death metal band or hip-hop band it was actually the beach boys Who who look to me like they're pretty clean cut, happy, go lucky, you know, pretty harmonies. It's innocent stuff, right? Innocent stuff in the 90s when I was into all the punk rock and hip hop and death metal and everything. This was the innocent, you know, girls listening, Christian girls listening to Tori Amos. And Tori Amos, it turns out she sang a song called Father Lucifer. She said, I wanted to marry Lucifer. I don't consider Lucifer an evil force. I feel his presence with the music. I feel like he comes and sits on my piano. What? And I could give you a lot more quotes along those lines under this, and we thought they were okay. Here's one, by the way, from the Hollywood side of things. This is an innocent 1950s sitcom, right? 1950s, when everything was as pure as the wind-driven snow. It was the era of family values and moral values. I love Lucy was arranged through, through seances. She was communicating with a, a comedian who was her friend who had died nine years before and, and the, 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 the demon spirit impersonating her dead loved one said, go ahead and start that show and be Lucy on I Love Lucy and then they do a seance in the show. No surprise there. By the way, we could never possibly do an exhaustive search of every actor, every person in the entertainment industry, all the musicians, but one inside source insor- uh, source that we get, insight that we get from Faruza Balk. She's asked, okay, witchcraft, you're in a movie about witchcraft in the 90s here. Is witchcraft like real in Hollywood? Are people into this? She's like, oh yeah, a lot of actors um, who don't mention their names, of course, are very much into this. So if I hear a lot A lot of the entertainment industry is into spiritualism. I'm ready to just go, why am I going to take my chances? It's not speaking of Jesus and of his soon coming and his present work in the sanctuary in heaven. It's not drawing me closer to Christ. What was I thinking to begin with? But in case I was feeling like a gambling man and I want to go and consume, it's not all bad. It's not all evil. They're not all possessed and evil bad people. So I'm going to take a chance. Wait a minute. She's like, a lot of this industry is full of it. I wouldn't go to a buffet that's full of rat poison and I don't know what's what and choose one and go, I hope it's good Russian roulette for my soul. No way. James 4, says, Come apart, or no, James 4 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But we have to submit ourselves to God first. It says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now I told you I would get into how to escape the pleasure trap. Can I show you one thing from the greater lust, and then I'll go right to that? I just got to show you these images. If anybody knows how to turn the lights down, you're going to want to see these images really clearly. This is a brain, a normal brain under a spec scan. This is a brain that has been addicted to lustful behaviors and practices. And viewing the prefrontal cortex is being eaten away. Here, are those areas in the in the cerebral cortex are prob- are problematic as well. Uh, that's putting it mildly. This is a cocaine. Addicts brain. This is a lust addict's brain. Which one's worse? Wow. This is your brain on pornography. Any questions? So there you go. That I'll show you the other image now. You can see the prefrontal region, cerebral region. Thanks for the lights, guys. I'm already done with it that fast, so you can pull them back up because I'm down to the last few minutes here, and I've got to do the most important thing. By the way, I feel so bad that I'm leaving off like eight slides that we're going to summarize a little bit of this, this a greater lust enslaved to purity in a pornographic world. Definitely view that series. That's one of the most important series. The Bible says, how can a young man cleanse his ways by taking heed according to thy word? That's in Psalm 119. We want to cleanse our ways and be prepared and have this sanctuary cleansed as that sanctuary is cleansed right now. But I told you I'd end with How to Escape the Pleasure Trap. You know how pleasure really works? We get it wrong. Pleasure actually follows naturally when we do good things and we live life the way God's designed. For example, you help a needy child in a developing nation, adopting an orphan or whatever, and pleasure follows. How about you share the truth with others and you see the light bulb go on in their mind and they're like, wow, this is amazing. Pleasure follows. When you view a beautiful sunset and are captivated by the beauty of God's nature, pleasure follows follows. Enjoy a picnic as a family on a beautiful afternoon. Pleasure follows. Study the word and God reveals himself to you and you're like, wow, God spoke to my heart just right there. Pleasure Follows, invest in a marital relationship, attend a joyful wedding celebration, accomplish a difficult task, or enjoy a nutritious meal. Pleasure follows. Pleasure follows. Why do I keep saying it in that order? Because when we pursue God and live life the way God designs, pleasure follows naturally like the cart follows the horse. Well, we put the cart before the horse, don't we? Yeah. We are in a pleasure pursuit obsession in this country. And the reality is when you pursue, let's say, media pleasures and entertainment, this would apply across the board. But this study, moderate and heavy media users report lower levels of happiness than their counterparts. And there's tons of research on this. I get into this more in the media mind. I just left it out today because I had to cut so much. But there's a lot more evidence and, and, and basis for this. The more media people consume, the less happy they become and the more bored we become. So wait. I thought the media was curing my boredom. I'm bored. What shall I do? Play a video game. I'm bored. What shall I do? Watch the game. I'm bored. What shall I do? Go on media, social media, and see what else is going on. I'm bored. What shall I do? Watch a movie. The media cures my boredom, right? No. The media is causing the boredom. It's kind of like a Mountain Dew addict. I was a Mountain Dew addict. Hi, I'm Scott. I was a Mountain Dew addict. And um, I thought I needed Mountain Dew for energy. I thought I needed caffeine for energy. Well, once I got off of it, I actually have more energy. right? I'll come back to that broccoli thing in just a second. But speaking of the boredom, did you know this phrase, I'm bored? You cannot find references to boredom in the English language and literature anywhere prior to the Industrial Revolution. It's a uniquely modern phenomenon. When everybody starts gathering in the cities and amusements and then the entertainment industry, and now the media, everything, boredom is is catastrophically high in its proportions like it was zero before. And now it's this massive thing where we're all bored all the time. How did we get so bored? We are overstimulated, aren't we? And so when they put a man in a room, a bunch of men, one at a time in a a study, they said, all right, sit here in this chair. Leave your phone in the other room. Wait, there's no screens in here? There's no TV? Can I bring a book? No. The study is you're just going to sit here in a chair and do nothing for as long as you can. Just be alone with your own thoughts. There's nothing on the walls. It's an empty room. And you sit there for as long as you can. And by the way, we're going to put this little thing on your finger and beep, whoa, you just shocked me. Yes, yeah, yeah, so a mild electric shock is administered when you te- press this button and then the researcher leaves the room. Now, the average man within 6.5 minutes is so bored, so understimulated that he's like shocking himself. Two-thirds of men shocked themselves. One-third of women shocked themselves, young adults. When I heard that, I said, wow, we definitely have a problem with boredom. This is a brain scan. Of people who are happy and not addicted to things, right? You have a lot of pleasure there in the pleasure centers. This is a drug addict. Whether it's the plug-in drug of modern media or drug, uh, physical drugs, it would be the same brain scan. Less happy, more bored. So wait a minute. The thing that I went to to try to gain more happiness and less boredom is producing less happiness and more boredom? That's exactly the trap the pleasure trap that Satan has people in. And so it's like the high followed by the crash. And then we gotta get the high again, because we, we have the perception that that is how we got there and that's how we get there. When If you remove the whole thing, When I got rid of Mountain Dew and I started eating a whole food plant based diet and having the health message, I have way more energy than I did when I was on energy types of drinks. Right. It's all an illusion. It's all a Band-Aid. It's all a fraud. It's all a deception. Now, the biggest deal deception about it all is this thing about broccoli. But first, I have to say this. God is way better at pleasure than Satan is. Did you know that? He is the creator of our brain. He's got the design protocols. He knows how to maximize our joy. And he says, I want to. He says, I've got pleasures at my right hand evermore. He says, I satisfy the desire of every living thing. So God doesn't want us to be bored and unhappy. He wants us to thrive and have joy. That's why he created us. So we can enjoy him and live life and worship him and honor him and have a relationship with him. And so when we try to cheat that by being pleasure seekers, we reduce our pleasure. Satan's trap. He's not better. He's good at the high, which causes an addiction and a downward spiral of pleasure. Actually, he saw the brain scan and it causes d- depression. This, this symbolizes how when I was a Mountain Dew addict, I would not want to eat real food after I drank Mountain Dew. Okay, so I drink a Mountain Dew. I'm not interested in broccoli. I'm not interested in any vegetables, actually. Anybody eating your ice cream first, eating your dessert first, and then the regular meal just doesn't as good, right? You know the concept. Well, this has spiritual application. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. So the Bible is not broccoli, it is honey, actually sweeter than honey. The Bible is sweeter than honey, yet many people are bored by the Bible. They're uninterested in spiritual things. Is it there's something wrong with the Bible and spiritual things? No, they're honey. There's something wrong with our taste buds, isn't there? The sated man loathes honey. What are we sated with? What are we satiated with? What are we satisfied with? I've had my fill of you name it. And then when it comes to the word of God and spiritual things, it's not that interesting. It's dull. I have a hard time getting into it because I'm go, 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 high stimulated, overstimulated, pleasure seeking, addicted to name your media, name your whatever that messes with the spiritual taste buds in our brains. Scientists call it the pleasure trap. There was a study in 1954 where mice would tap a lever and then the lever would produce an electrical signal that would go down into the nucleus accumbens or the pleasure receptors in the mouse's brain. And he would be like, Whew, wow, that feels good. I like that pleasure. That's good stuff. And he learned quickly. Tap the lever. Feel good. Lever delivers pleasure. It was an easy, quick fix pleasure. It wasn't like what I was describing earlier. Live life God's way. Pleasure naturally follows. That sometimes requires effort, discipline, sometimes pain, sometimes struggle to do the right thing, but pleasure results. Jesus said, you will weep, you will mourn while the world rejoices. Everybody else is having a big old party, but it says, your weeping will be turned to joy because you're doing it the right way. So the mouse, though, was doing it the quick fix, the easy way. No discipline, effort, or pain required. The results were these mice stopped eating their food and were on the brink of death. So they were like, "Mm, should I? Now, that doesn't taste very good to me. For listeners to the audio, I am pretending that the mouse is tasting the Bible as his food. Uh, He's like, no, that's not interesting. I just want my lever. Let me go back to my lever. Shall I run on my wheel? Oh, that's just it requires so much effort. It's so hard. Just just give me my lever. So so we're losing a grip on what it means to be human, right? Remember from the first session, the mouse needed a seminar, how to be a mouse again. Like run on the wheel, don't tap the lever, eat your normal food, and you'll have a happy life, Mr. Mouse. Same thing with us when we live like the way God designed for us to live in every aspect. I I I gave you the laundry list already this morning. I won't repeat it, but in our social Lives and in everything, we can find the joy of walking with Jesus and knowing Him. And that's when we will open the Word of God with new eyes, with 2020 vision, if you will, to say, Give me a new set of lenses, Lord. Let me try something different. Because when I try something different, this last quote that we close with this afternoon applies. If we do not receive the religion of Christ by feeding upon the Word of God, we shall not be entitled to an entrance into the city of God. People who are not eating the spiritual food will not be in the heavenly kingdom. Having lived on earthly food, having educated our tastes to love worldly things, we would not be fitted for the heavenly courts. We could not appreciate the pure heavenly current that circulates in heaven. The voices of the angels and the music of their harps would not satisfy us. People would get up there and be like, harps, really? I mean, come on, where's my style? Where's the music? Listen to those angels just going on like that. Like, when are they going to do it the way I like? Well, the science of heaven would be as an enigma to our minds, a mystery. Why do people like it up here? I can't get on my phone. I can't play video games. I can't watch exciting media, worldly or otherwise, if we're so overstimulated. This place is boring. This is like church all the time. Where am I? Right? It would be torture. You read in Steps to Christ, the heaven would be torture to the, un, to the ungodly. We, so here's the antidote, here's the solution. We need to hunger and thirst for the righteousness of Christ. How do we get hungry and thirsty for the righteousness? How do we, hung, how do we get it so that it tastes good for us? Well, let me use an analogy. Have you ever done a fast for like 24 hours or 48 hours or something like that. And then the first thing you eat after the fast is some plain, simple food. But it tastes really, really good, like a carrot, Okay, You give me a carrot after a big old ice cream dessert, and I'm just like, oh, anybody got any ranch dip? This tastes so like cardboard, right? But you give me a carrot. You eat a carrot after a fast, and you're just like, whoa, where did you get these carrots? These are so good. It's the best carrots I've ever had. No, no, it's just a normal carrot. No, these are the best carrots I've ever had. No, it's the same carrot, but it's so good because you fasted. Is there a media you might fast from? Some type of thing that maybe we're just always on and takes up time and it's messing with our brain and messing with our pleasure receptors and we're addicted. You fast from something, you start to find the rest of life tasting better. And most importantly, God said taste and see that the Lord is good. And when we seek Him and search for Him with all our hearts, even if it means detaching from something for a while that we just love and we can't live without, that's searching for Him with all our hearts. Then we will find Him. Then we will taste the savor of the sweetness of the honey. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your will for us that it is good, that You withhold from us no good thing, that You satisfy our every need and desire with You, We want to know you more. We want to walk with you more closely and to witness and do your work and not waste any more time. As the time is short and it's dragging on too long, we want to hasten the coming of Jesus by detaching from pleasure seeking and entertainment seeking and want to seek true edification and have our taste buds reset so we can love your word and be fit for heaven and prepare others for it as well. We pray these things, and, and, and Lord, we, we, we sanctify and surrender right now. Set apart our lives for you. Many of us right now are ready to make a decision about, boy, we've been involved with worldly media, and Lord, we surrender that. It is of the devil, it's spiritualism, it's dark nastiness, and we want nothing to do with it. It's going in the garbage. Anybody who's making that decision right now, just commit to that to the Lord in your heart and pray yes to Jesus. Say yes to his invitation. And Lord, many of us also are invited by your spirit to try a fast, to try a different set of lenses to look at life through and look at you and your word through. And we want to see more clearly. We want eye salves so that we can see So we pray that you'd help us to make that decision with firmness and resolve right now to fill our lives with something much, much better so that it's not like the man who had the demon cast out and seven more come back because he just swept his house and put it in order. We want to fill the house of our lives and the house of our minds with so much good and so much activity serving you and loving you and studying your word. So help us with our walk as we make Life altering decisions this weekend. We want to make a commitment, Lord, and not walk away unchanged, not walk away with just information, but walk away with a plan for transformation, a practical plan to do life differently than we heretofore have done. And we just surrender this all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh day Adventist Church, seeks to challenge and inspire young people to take a sacrificial initiative for Christ. To download other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.